Hello everyone, this is the RPG Academy, a special edition of The Trials. You are listening to your favorite co-host, The Caleb G. Uh, Michael is out of the interview loft today. Uh, I have a very special guest with me uh, that I'm very excited to talk about. A brand new role-playing game, a brand new Kickstarter and I will turn the microphone over to him for an introduction, and we will dive into this brand new thing to talk about. Uh, yeah, hi Caleb. This is uh, this is Anthony Ford. Uh, my friends and I uh, are starting a game called Post Replica, uh, a, a, a sort of hybrid tabletop and online RPG all about androids. And I'm so pleased to come talk to you about it today. Well, thank you so much for taking time with me here, Anthony. Uh, I know we have been talking for a while about making this happen, uh, and I'm very, very glad that we could do this tonight. Um, let's just jump right into it. So we are talking about a brand new game called Post Replica. Uh, it is a tabletop role-playing game, uh, but you mm -hmm. dropped a tantalizing little hint there that there is another aspect uh, to this gaming environment. So. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Post Replica, um, the story, and what this game really is? So uh, we like to say that we've come up with the world's first tablet top game, which means that uh, you're still going to have that sort of in-person core traditional tabletop role-playing game. But sitting in the middle of the table is going to be a tablet or another device that runs an app that connects you with all the other groups who are playing this game all over the world. And uh, since this is a game about androids, what you're going to be doing is trying to hide among humanity. And through the app, you're going to be indirectly collaborating with everyone else who's playing the game. You're going to be able to trade information, rumors, uh, send letters to other players, and take on missions that uh, will help you make an impact on the shared world and try to make the world a better place for all the androids who are hiding out there. Interesting. So... Uh... This is a game that you play with your own gaming group in real life at the table, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you as a corporate entity are going to be hosting <laughs> uh, kind of a, a worldwide server of missions, of the fiction of the world, uh, and mm -hmm. so that part of it is going to be in flux based on who is doing what in their own little stories. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Uh, what we really hope to do is, at first, we're going to be working especially with like guest writers or artists or designers that are going to come in and help us make content uh, to really get people excited about this world. But my sort of big, my big vision, my big audacious goal is that uh, we work on technology that makes this player community sort of feed itself and recombine and work together to create uh, the, their own story out of the post-replica world. Wow, that is really ambitious, and uh, I, I've got to say um, that is definitely the what I should I should rephrase that that is one of the first steps towards the next evolution of role playing games. Um, mm. We are we are living in a time right now when the tabletop is evolving. Um, mm -hmm. Not only are we seeing more of an online interaction with just players, with virtual tabletops, uh, chat windows, and streaming gaming to play with people mm -hmm. all across the world, uh, we are seeing a lot of new technology being brought to the game table. Um, mm -hmm. Digital player, uh, player sheets, digital dice, 
uh, digital um, mapping to have maps and figures and dynamic lighting on the table. But what you guys are doing is really pushing the envelope towards uh, the next level. Uh, the fact that, yes, we are playing a game here at our table, but that's going to have impact on the world in general is really, really intriguing to me. Um, has a little bit of an MMO feel, if we want to call mm-hmm. back to the uh, the video game side of our hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I've got to ask, what was the design process like? How did you guys come up with this idea? Uh, I know it's not just you sitting in your basement. Uh, you are representative mm-hmm. of a, the team behind Post Replica. So uh, give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how this baby got created. So uh, I am just finishing my last bit of finals for my last year of law school, uh, as are the other three founders of our company. And we all uh, were from different parts of the country. We all came to the same law school here in New York City, and we all met each other, and we started a gaming group. And I had no idea. Like, I had not really played a tabletop game since college, and and I thought it was kind of fun and sort of like a throwback to get a group up together and, and start playing. But then as we were playing over the course of law school, I started remembering this idea for a game I had had back in college that I never actually made. And the idea was uh, back in college when I was coming out of the closet, I um, thought about an RPG about androids and how uh, if you were an android and you were the only one, you would feel so alone and isolated and you would try to hide who you were. You would try to pass as human and just like I was trying to pass as straight every day. So as I came out of the closet, I really thought about this game as like an allegory for um, the idea of feeling really isolated and feeling like you have to fit in. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what a lot of tabletop hobbyists have in common as well. They they all kind of feel like they have this interesting quirk about themselves that's not in the mainstream necessarily, but as geek culture kind of takes over, we all found out through the internet, we all have this hobby in common. So I thought, why not take this idea of one game that kind of is an allegory for isolation and then this kind of neat idea that the internet brings nerds together and sort of smash those two ideas into one. And that's really where we came up with the idea of, yeah, it's going to be a tabletop RPG about androids hiding among humanity, but it's not going to make the player feel alone. In fact, it's going to do just the opposite. It's going to make the player feel really connected. Wow. That... That's really impressive, Anthony. That's, <laughs> that is yes. not the exact answer I was expecting you to say, but <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that's a very cool way to approach a concept of a game and, and kind of the, the facts, the impact, the motivation behind playing the game, developing the game. I, I, I really think that's, that's going to speak directly to a lot of people that are, uh, of the opinion that games can't uh, do something more than just be a game. Uh, there, there's yeah. absolutely a a very, very important meaning uh, behind what you are doing here with um, Post Replica. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. very impressed by that. That's so cool. Um, and we really hope we can tell that story and, and we can really reach a new audience. I, I really want to reach out to uh, LGBT gamers. I want to get uh, more women in games. I want more people of color in games. I just want everybody to be able to take 
their hobby like games and see that it really connects them and, and makes them a part of a bigger community. People who can really enjoy each other's company, even though they come from very different backgrounds. Cool. Cool. Uh, I, I'm glad to see that you are making strides to uh, make the hobby more inclusive um, and mm -hmm. make it a little more appealing. Um, now we've only touched uh, a little bit on the concept of what post replica is as a game. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. curious though, do, have you guys in developing Post-Replica had any um, motivation or any uh, focus on making the rules um, more easily accessible to these types of people that might not necessarily consider themselves a gamer? Some of the other communities that you're trying to reach out to and give some examples of how to pull together here? Yeah, I mean, that was... Um... That was kind of like a that was sort of a challenge because anytime you design a game, you you really have to you have to uh, try to strike this balance between um, sort of accessibility and depth, right? So you could have we could have uh, a core mechanic that's like flip a coin and if it's heads you win, if it's tails you lose, but that would not make for a very deep gaming experience. So what we really tried to do was uh, figure out a core mechanic that just used six-sided dice that everybody's familiar with uh, and use character attributes in the game that that represent um, personal qualities that people could understand so uh, instead of um, things like strength and dexterity and constitution characters have things like discipline and confidence uh, or resilience or their ability to clarify things or their ability to notice things. These are sort of, we tried to connect it as much as we could to sort of real life activities that people could perceive themselves using to solve a problem. Oh, okay. Well, that's a very creative solution to that accessibility issue. Um, we are really in a great time for role-playing games because of crowdfunding, uh, because mm -hmm. of so many people saying, hey, I can make a game and throw it mm -hmm. out there that people can mm -hmm. um, figure out. So we, we are really seeing a, a shift from that kind of really hardcore nerdiness that you needed to have to play D&D <laughs> &D and stuff in the old days. Yeah. Um, where you had to have that head for numbers and all the rules. Uh, there's so many games that are more loose, open form, very minimal structure. Um, of course, the flip side of that is also true. Um, there are a lot of games that are playing to those old strengths. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there is a, a trend right now to um, prevent any certain style of person, of gamer, from playing at the table. There's just so many things to appeal to everybody. And um, yeah. from what I've read from uh, the playtest information that you've sent us about Post-Replica, um, mm -hmm. I think you guys have, have really struck gold here. It's a very oh, nice. common sense mechanic. Uh, it's mm -hmm. easy to explain. But there's enough meat there to appeal to the strategic tactical player. Yeah. One thing that we really wanted to, uh, especially the idea of, of appealing to a strategy-based player, is that uh, it's all about uh, a sort of Yahtzee-style gamble. You roll dice, and then you have to choose whether or not you want to keep those dice or re-roll them. And that's a kind of statistical gamble that I think more hardcore players can really kind of get their head around and think about, you know, I have this, I'm risking that. What's the distribution on it? You know, what's the spread, so to speak? 
uh, and there's just uh, plenty of crunchy bits there. But at the same time, a casual player can just see a bunch of fours and fives and say, oh, I did well, and kind of not really need to bother themselves with that if they don't want to. Gotcha. Um, now, uh, our listeners will see by this point that there uh, are a second set of podcasts uh, following up tonight here. Uh, we will be having Anthony run a uh, playtest of post-replica for us. So uh, we are not going to hammer on all the details of the dice and the mechanics because you're going to listen to us talk about it uh, very, very shortly. So I'm a little bit interested in your background as a gamer uh, and the team's background. Did everyone come from a, a long uh, history of Dungeons and Dragons, or is everybody a brand new, what are dice, what's a character sheet kind of person? <laughs> uh, we have pretty varied backgrounds when it comes to that. Uh, I've been playing RPGs since high school, um, and let's see, what systems did I play? I think I think the very first role-playing game I played was the Dragon Ball Z role-playing game, <laughs> if, you can, if you can conceive of that existing. It does, and... <laughs> And we played it. It was a lot of fun. We we graduated to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, starting with third edition, then going back to AD and D, and then back up to third. And as as many gaming groups do, uh, Matt, uh, our uh, sort of chief business guru, uh, he's designed a role playing game, and he's also played quite a bit of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Steven, who is our uh, chief quality officer, which is a really fancy way of saying, um, you know, uh, main helper in getting the game design process working. Uh, he has played a lot of the Star Wars games that I recall, and I, he's been running uh, Pathfinder campaigns for us here in law school. And Chris, who is our chief marketing officer, I think he briefly played a sort of werewolf-oriented role-playing game in college. Um, I don't necessarily remember, but we definitely got his nascent role-playing game skills uh, revitalized for this project, which was so much fun. Uh, so we all have very different perspectives and backgrounds, but all of us at least have had some experience in playing games. Awesome. That is great to hear. Um, there, there are so many different points of view and perspectives that can be generated from these different types of gaming backgrounds. And I think that's very evident in the game itself and in the story and what you've been telling me so far tonight. Um, I, I am going to say right now that I do see a bit of a resemblance to uh, some concepts from the Fate uh, gaming system. Uh, in in how you guys have described the quote unquote statistics of the playing mm -hmm. characters here, uh, did you guys do that intentionally to try to pull a little bit uh, from fate, or was that just a lucky happenstance? I think that's kind of a coincidence. Um, I think I've seen a little bit about fate, but I am not really that familiar with the system. I, I, the idea that we were stretching, or the idea we were kind of getting to was that uh, if you have androids that have been sort of engineered by the top scientists in the world, they're all going to have more or less the same strength and speed and agility. What really makes the difference between one android succeeding over another is really more about how their background and the life experience has shaped them. So it's really more about their character attributes or about their stick or their desire to succeed 
more than it is about sort of, um, you know, strength, dexterity, sort of more physically based uh, statistics. And I'm sure a lot of game designers have tried to make that distinction too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, fate lets you basically outline a character with statements about how and why they do things. So that's, mm. that's what I picked up uh, some similarities with you describing the, the attributes and the devotions uh, the focuses mm-hmm. of uh, the androids here in Post Replica. Um, mm-hmm. So, so why don't we why don't we get into Post Replica? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the world and about the story, uh, so that our listeners know what they are in store for later on? Sure. So, uh, in Post Replica, it's sort of a speculative science fiction. So, in the world of Post Replica, we uh, our society embraces androids, sort of like biomechanical replacements for people. They take on the dull, the dirty jobs, dangerous jobs. And at one point we have them fight a big war for us. And then we realize that uh, sort of war without, uh, war without a moral context or war without the fear of death, because obviously android soldiers can be programmed to just not feel pain and not care, uh, we see we see this sort of tremendous blunder we've made as humanity, and 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 we decide to turn all the androids off with a sort of big worldwide off switch. And so everybody thinks the androids have turned off. Fifty years or so go by. Humanity tries to rebuild itself from this devastating war, and one by one, androids start turning back on. Some of them turn out to be uh, crazy when they wake up, and they're kind of regenerative system goes haywire and they turn into these kind of John Carpenter-esque monsters that roam the countryside and just attack anything that moves. And of course, humans uh, now come to think of all androids as these dangerous buzzers, as they're called, because they make this kind of buzzing, croaky noise as their vocal box just goes haywire from their insanity. Uh, Other androids wake up, and the player characters are these. They are sort of sane, a little confused, uh, not quite sure how they're going to fit into this new world around them, and they pass uh, they pass amongst themselves this sort of uh, scrapbook or manuscript of uh, advice on how to survive. And this book is called Post Replica. Uh, and so the idea is when you pick up the rule book, you're really looking at a copy of uh, this manual of advice that androids pass along to each other to try to hide among humanity. Now, who's trying to find them? Uh, there are a sort of active human inquisition where they try to come up with goofy tests to try to out androids. Uh, and these guys are called the reclaimers, and they really want to make sure that Earth belongs to humans and nothing else. And so they're the sort of uh, the sort of outweeding you enemy versus the out. Uh, powering you enemy that you find in the buzzers awesome um (laughs) absolutely awesome um listeners listeners of the show will know that i am a huge fan of that uh that type of world that not quite a hundred percent sci-fi but still a little bit more advanced that kind of weird modern cyberpunk world I love those types of stories. Um, and to be perfectly honest, when you guys first uh, reached out to me and we first started talking about Post Replica, mm-hmm. um, 
this the the concept just latched into me and I loved it. It it's got <laughs> that Blade Runner aspect, it's got that Matrix aspect, it's got all these really cool little bits of the sci-fi android trope and those stereotypes. And there've been a lot of movies, well, not as many recently, but within the past 5 or 10 years about Mm-hmm. Uh, androids and AI and things like that. So I'm not going to say that post-replica is part of a trend, but it is certainly uh, a theme that is in the public mind. It's not... Yeah, and, and we definitely uh, were aware of that. And one thing that especially I've noticed is that uh, in that in that string of movies, the, the AI always decides like it's time to just mop up the humans and move on. And in, in, in post-replica, it's exactly the opposite. It's humans who are the one, It's just they decide it's time to wrap up AI and just push it under the rug and move on without it. And so it's really challenging the player to think of AI and androids from a completely different perspective, which is to be the persecuted instead of the persecutors. It's, it's a very interesting concept to ask players to step into as a character role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone approaching a role-playing game automatically defaults to the I'm going to be the hero, I'm going to do mm-hmm. dramatic, really cool things, and you can absolutely do that in post-replica, but mm-hmm. the motivation behind that drama and that action and uh, those heroic things are survival. It, it is... Right. It is not, I am the knight in shining armor protecting the village. Mm -hmm. It is the, I need to survive. I need to live to see tomorrow. I need to protect Mm -hmm. my family, who are these androids, and we're facing all this opposition. Right, Um, right. And and you can be, you can make a big heroic display, but you're going to have to find a plausible cover story why it was you know, a human you should let leave (laughs) that did the big (laughs) heroic thing. You know, you might have to pretend to cough as you leave the burning building and <laughs> save everyone inside. And you'll kind of roll to pretend to cough. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Uh, see, you're... Now, uh, we, I at this point have read the playtest documents. So those little mm-hmm. bits and pieces are there. I love, love, love the framework that you are writing this book. That it is the secret document that is handed from Android Mm -hmm. to Android with, you know, things scribbled in the corners and post-it notes. It's the How to Survive Handbook. That is a really fresh and unique taste. I mean, anyone in the hobby is is used to reading new gaming manuals. All right, Mm -hmm. here's the Mm -hmm. section on skills, here's the section on feats, here's a section... And you just start skipping through the book. From Mm -hmm. what I've gathered so far... We can't do that with post-replica. We need to start at page one and read it cover to cover. And you guys are making it interesting to do that, which I am very, uh, very appreciative of because I find myself in that bad habit of not reading books all the way through because I just want to figure out how to play it. So I really, really like that incentive to dig mm-hmm. into the book and really sit down and read it and understand the world. Yeah, I mean, we really hope to uh, not only tell a compelling story about these characters, but we also want to um, reach out to people who have a different learning style. 
So once you get familiar with enough with the book, you could probably flip through and find what you're looking for. But uh, it certainly is the sort of current hobbyist who knows how to read a rule manual in that way. Uh, someone who is just a science fiction reader or someone who is just kind of interested in sort of punk, cyberpunk fiction, they're going to expect to sit down with a book and read it. So we're going to make that possible for them. And along the way, they'll sort of accidentally learn how to play post-replica as well. That's really cool. Um, and I also really like what you said a minute ago where as a uh, as a GM, as whoever is running the game of post-replica, your instructions mm-hmm. to them are going to be to present these consequences to the players. Give mm-hmm. them the, the real, pen, not necessarily penalties, but truly the consequences of when you do something that is really cool, people are going to notice. So how do you react? Mm-hmm. How do you cope? How do you maintain your safety? Mm-hmm. And one thing we found in, in test games is that there's always one player who takes that part really seriously, and then there's always one, at least one other player who would rather just get caught. And you get these really great dynamics on the table of like player versus player. Like, no, you can't just you can't just kidnap Farmer John and take him off into the woods. And it was like, why not? I'm a super powered android. I do whatever I want. <laughs> well, I mean, let let's be honest. If we really were in this type of futuristic situation, those are are the consequences. Those are the dilemmas. Those are the. <laughs> Uh, debates that people would have. So the mm-hmm. fact that we, you guys have seen that happen, and I'm, I'm sure that is going to happen tonight as <laughs> we play <laughs> a, a little bit later. Um, but I will do my best not to make it happen on purpose. I, I hope it will come <laughs> up organically. Um, but that's really cool that you have seen that happen because that tells me the rules you are creating are organic enough to let these motivations and decisions shine out. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not so much, okay, roll these dice, add these numbers, compare these numbers. The focus isn't there. Uh, The mechanics are there to support the story. So Mm -hmm. it it seems to me like you guys have really taken that to heart as the foundation for post-replica. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really, uh, and I hope that the the app only adds to that, right? So we've seen a lot of technology get added to the tabletop, and in a lot of ways, uh, it's very much a try it once and sort of put it aside because it gets in the way of the story you want to tell on the table. Uh, and we really hope that not just the game mechanics, sort of from a mathematical perspective, stay out of the player's way, but we really want to help. Uh, create. We really want to create an app that gets out of the player's way as well, uh, but still gives them that kind of interactivity and support. It's going to add a lot to what goes on around the table. Gotcha. And I definitely do want to talk more about the app and that side of the game, uh, but let's dig into the mechanics a little bit. Sure. Um, this is my side of the RPG Academy. I am the <laughs> crunchy one here, so I always do like to look at the numbers and things. Mm-hmm. Um uh, we've touched how uh, we've touched on how the the Android PCs are defined by their potentials, mm-hmm. um, not not raw stats, but things they are good at. Mm-hmm. And then you have the capabilities, which are more like how they do things. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, essentially, we all of these ratings are just a number of dice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell me about what we do with those dice? Right. So uh, with the player, with the sort of core mechanic, if I had to say it in a sentence, is um, it's almost like a Mad Lib, right? So it's the idea that if I capability, which is like the verb, with enough potential, just like the adjective, then I will succeed. So I'll, I'll have the player sort of make their case, you know, what do they want to do and how does that map to one of their verbs that they have as a capability and, and how does how is their success affected by one of these adjectives they have that are their potentials. So how the how the actual dice rolling works is that you roll the number of dice that are in your potential, which means the more potential you have, the more opportunities you have to get high numbers because you're rolling more dice. Uh, and capabilities allows you to re-roll the number of dice indicated by the capability. So uh, most uh, most of them start at one, and, and sometimes you have a two because it's like an area of your emphasis. So it's, it gives you a chance to kind of correct for uh, random chance, and that's the that's kind of what a skill does, right? You know, you could shoot an arrow, not look, and it would go somewhere. But someone who is skilled is going to um, narrow the uh, the the range of random chance, <laughs> hopefully, and, and and so it's only their target that they hit, and not you know a bird flying by. Gotcha. So, uh, essentially, to break that down, we are rolling uh, a small handful of d6s, mm-hmm. and then we have the possibility of re-rolling a certain number of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, when we are at running the game mm-hmm. from behind the GM screen, um, we are using DCs or target numbers, mm-hmm. a, a total for the player to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, with their role, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, and the, the player's role is uh, after they roll however many dice and re-roll, they keep three. They always keep three. And then you just add those okay. three dice up and that's your that's your roll and then you compare it to a target number. Yep. So, so does that mean uh, a player will always have, uh, always be keeping at least three so none of the stats would be below 2d6 at that point? Yeah, uh right. So you roll the number of the ro- you roll the number of dice that are your potential, so that has to be at least 3. And then your capability okay. lets you re-roll those dice you just rolled. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh now there there are situations where there may be bonuses or penalties to that roll. Mm-hmm. So the GM can add more dice or subtract dice from that? Yes, exactly. So the 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 GM has kind of the option of either changing the number of dice that you roll, or they could add or take away rerolls. Um, and each of those would have kind of a different effect on what your roll ends up being. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So in the uh, in the section of post-replica that is for GMs, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to assume that there will be some guidelines about what at what these penalties or bonuses might mean, how to phrase them, how to kind of flavor them mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when... Uh, when describing them to your players. Right, right. Uh, the basic idea is that uh, if you are in a situation where uh, you've you've kind of added to the uh, possibilities of the situation, you've sort of added and introduced more uh, randomness and happenstance, then you would add more dice to roll. If you're in a situation where the character is really focusing and narrowing in on what they want to do, if they're really sort of concentrating or 
um, sort of minimizing what's happening, then you're going to add to the rerolls instead. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the things I really liked out of the document I read uh, was something you guys called a progressive challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about that? So a progressive challenge is a kind of skill role that has a very high target number. Now, one character acting by themselves would have to be really, really lucky to hit such a high target number. But instead of doing that alone, everybody in the group gets a chance at uh, helping do some part of the task or facilitate success. So they, they will roll to sort of assist, and they will add uh, dice to the character's potential who ultimately goes at the, at the progressive challenge. So it encourages sort of creative teamwork. So if the progressive challenge were robbing a bank, say for example, uh, one person could go get the blueprints for the building, another person could uh, learn how to crack safes, and uh, the last person could uh, make sure that all the guards call in sick that day. And those three sort of helpful tasks would add three dice to the ultimate bank robbery's potential role. Wonderful. So that is a, a really cool way to add more cooperation at the table. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a cool way to develop more of the story mm -hmm. uh, and to get everybody involved in what is happening. And uh, I would love to now, see gaming I, sessions where the entire session is one progressive challenge, where they just take one big task, break it down into smaller parts, and the narrator or the GM is just shepherding them through that process. And they've written the entire session themselves because they're the ones coming up with how they're going how are they going to solve this big challenge? That is really cool. Uh, that that would be a fun thing to play out mm -hmm. uh, at at the table. Um, there definitely have been versions of that type of thing mm -hmm. in other role playing games, mm -hmm. uh, and of course any creative GM has come up with a house rule to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And players have done that too. Players have always offered, well, hey, if I go do this, can I give John over there a bonus to his role? Right. So it, this this is not something that is a brand new concept mm -hmm. to role-playing games, mm -hmm. but I think the way you have outlined it and the way you have included it in the core mechanic of post-replica is very refreshing, and, and it's great to see that with a new game on the market. That's great. I mean, one thing I noticed, especially in law school, when we, we sort of started our uh, RPG group, is that after you get a certain to a certain size in your group, you might start having players who are not as extroverted as um, other people in your group. And so they sometimes get drowned out by people who are sort of really just aggressive and really want to just go at everything. And sometimes rules facilitate this behavior. Uh, for example, in Dungeons & Dragons, if you've got a really tough fighter or a really tough ranger, you may not even need the rest of the party. And, and eventually you're going you're gonna to notice that that's true. So I really wanted to build into this game uh, me mechanisms that would facilitate everybody being equals in the group and everybody having to work together, even if their personalities are more or less extroverted. Exactly, exactly. So um, what we can say here, and I, this goes back to uh, something you mentioned at the very start of the interview here, uh, Post Replica is really trying to make it easy to bring in new players. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's 
lending some tools to teach new players how to role play, mm -hmm. to really show them how to get into the game, the world, and who their characters are. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the, the androids in Post Replica are more than just their potentials and capabilities. Uh, looking at the pregens here for playtesting, uh, they do have things called talents, tactics, and of course weapons. Mm -hmm. So why don't mm -hmm. we touch real briefly on those just to give listeners a flavor of what they're going to see here. So talents are, uh, most characters just have one talent, and it's kind of a game mechanic that triggers when it's not their turn. So uh, usually it triggers when it's not their turn, or sometimes it adds to some everything they do. Uh, so an example is one character, uh, a character might be a veteran from this big war that humanity fought, so they always roll extra dice when they're aiming to hit with a weapon because they've been taught to be really accurate. Or another character might be uh, really good at, at um, confusing and, and confabulating, so they always get some sort of bonus to a task oriented around that. Uh, so that's sort of a talent. Tactics are the sort of bread and butter of your turn. So every time you have a turn in combat, you get to use two of your tactics. Some of these tactics reposition you against enemies so that you have a better tactical advantage. They might reposition your allies, or they might... Uh, do something cooperative with your allies, and other tactics are uh, sort of attacks that you carry out against your opponents. And when you do carry out an attack, you, you have usually one of two weapons to choose from. Uh, right now in this playtest, it's a sort of like a strong weapon versus a, a, a weak weapon or something like that. But in the next version of the playtest, we're really going to try to incorporate it so that one weapon is more sort of physically oriented, and another weapon is more um, sort of non-physical in some way, such as, um, uh, so instead of hit points, people have resolve, so there's sort of willingness to fight. So you could break down the resolve by hitting them with a big, tough weapon, or you could break down the resolve by scaring them. Uh, so we're going to try to sort of balance out weapons to be both physical and non-physical in the next iteration. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that focus. Um, on the show, we previously we have talked a lot about those ideas of what hit points mean. Mm -hmm. Is it are they actually raw? You're bleeding. I chopped your arm off, <laughs> or is it endurance? Oh, I, I've taken so many punches. I'm just too tired to keep fighting. Mm -hmm. um, I like that focus as calling it resolve. Mm. It, that could because it integrates both. Mm -hmm. It integrates my my dedication my perseverance, my willingness to fight, but it also incorporates, well, I just got punched in the head, so I'm, I'm going to kind of be knocked out right now. Right. Um, now, speaking of combat, uh, I, I think we should bring up one of the really most interesting parts of post-replica, which is the battle arc. Mm -hmm. So why don't you explain that uh, craziness to people? <laughs> well, I hope it's not too crazy. Uh, so instead of having a graph paper in the middle of the table where everybody moves sort of miniatures around like uh, the old sort of the old days of Dungeons and Dragons, and I guess the new days too, uh, each character has their own uh, board with which they keep track of their tactical position versus each enemy. So versus each enemy, you could be nearby them, you could be engaged with them. You can be hidden from them, or flanking them, or undercover from them. And this combination of positions can be different for each player. So while you might be engaged with one opponent, your ally might be hidden from them. 
So you might have a tactic that depends on you being distracting that foe so that your ally can attack them from the shadows. And so by tracking movement in a sort of purely tactical sense, we could really build moves that encouraged uh, collaboration between players because they weren't locked into just one static position on the battlefield. They could sort of interpret their tactical positions in different ways. See, I really like this. Uh, I'm, I'm a, it took me a minute to realize the implication of it when I read through the documents you sent me, mm-hmm. but then I got really excited. So when, when I say the battle arc is some craziness, it's a really fun craziness uh, <laughs> because I like that tactical combat that is kind of my root uh, as a player. So when I see a game that lets me do some really cool role-playing also has this very unique, fresh way to approach tactics, it's just the best of both worlds. It's really cool. So I know you guys can't see this because this is a an audio podcast and not a visual one, um, but essentially you have this battle arc, this big half circle in front of you at the table, and it's got all these different sections flanked, hidden, engaged, covered, and nearby. So you, as a player, are not moving your character around a map. You are instead moving a token for the enemy's relation to you as a player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, as a a character, am a fixed point. Mm -hmm. But my interaction with my enemies is what is constantly shifting. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of... Uh, the the tactical maneuvers on my character sheet change, so they might say when you're engaged or when you're hidden or when you know you're you're flanking an enemy. That's when different things can trigger and different things can happen. And the best part, uh, from a, a devious GM's perspective, is that the enemies don't have battle arcs. What the enemies do is they try to mess up yours. So the GM can kind of sort of trip you up by forcing you to reposition against uh, different enemies so that your plans go awry and and we get to see some interesting uh, tactics emerge on on the battlefield. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like the fact that the GM isn't doing the exact same thing that the players are doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because let's be honest, as as much as I have a background in Dungeons & Dragons and I love Dungeons & Dragons... Every time I'm in a combat in D&D, I'm, I am balancing my enemies' stats and hit points and feats and skills and how much they can move on the map, and we're all sharing that one grid in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a break from the norm. This is a very fresh take on combat, which is going to keep everybody interested and everybody intrigued. Uh, and I think what's best about this is the fact that you have built in a way to keep everyone at the table, at the table, and Mm. in the moment of combat. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of what I have read in these these pre-gen characters involves my action changing another player's action, Mm -hmm. or giving them a bonus, Mm -hmm. or my action depends on their action. Mm -hmm. So this is going to keep combat interesting, it's going to keep combat really cool 
but it's also going to eliminate the, oh, well, it's not my turn. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when you're talking about, uh, not to knock grids all day, but when you're talking about, you know, like a character, like the alchemist in Pathfinder, for example, whose entire ability set depends on, like, finding the right nine squares on the table that they can bash with a flask of fire or whatever. I mean, it's just tedious. <laughs> you can't, like... You can't just, you know, have a character and do your moves. You've got to, like, get a degree in trigonometry before you can play <laughs> your character. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you, that, uh, but I, I am a, a hardcore Pathfinder of course. and 3.5 yeah. character. Yeah. So I love doing that. But <laughs> right. as, a, as a GM, I recognize the problem inherent to that yeah. system. Yeah. And as much as I love doing it, I'm very excited about a system that gives me a new take and mm-hmm. gives me something new to do. Um, so let's move on to the app okay. because on top of all these awesome new rules and new ways to play and a, a new way to introduce players to role-playing in this really unique world of post-replica, uh, the app is something that really has not happened before. Mm. in tabletop role-playing games. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've touched on it a little bit. Let's go into a little bit more detail, though. Mm -hmm. So the app is going to... uh, First of all, it's going to provide settings that everyone shares. So the first setting is going to involve a a sort of deep city, sort of corporate intrigue, cyberpunk, greediness type of setting. And then outside that city, there's going to be sort of outlying rural towns and settlements that are more like little farming communities. And that's going to have a much more sort of small town uh, paranoia, sort of 50s McCarthyism vibe. Uh, In between the country and the city is going to be the decimated suburban sprawl uh, that is sort of leftover, destroyed by the war. Uh, And that's going to be where you're sort of, it's going to be kind of a fallout kind of feel where uh, everything is just waiting to come get you. And it's going to be very much the sort of dangerous um, go fight some monsters type of zone. So the app provides those three environments for you. um, And it uh, will give you missions oriented to kind of each of those environments. So say you want to play in the small town, you might have a mission that is, uh, you know, John is running for mayor, and he really needs uh, the support of Sam, who is uh, who has some sort of grudge against him because he thinks he's an android or something. So you've got to go convince Sam that John's not an android. Well, John may well be an android. John may be sitting at this very table. <laughs> but <laughs> the idea is that it's a task that you can choose to take on. If you take on that task, it's sort of given to you. And when you either complete that task or not, you tell the app uh, sort of what happened. And based on your either your success or your failure, the app is going to generate new missions to follow and keep pulling on the thread of that story. Wow. That is really cool. So it, is the app... Uh, let me rephrase that question. Mm-hmm. Um, are all of these stories and threads and options because this is kind of like a choose your own adventure Mm -hmm. feed out like it's a tree okay Mm -hmm. i take the convince sam that john isn't an android mission Mm -hmm. and then it trees out from there i could go here i could go here are all of those missions and options pre-made and pre-set in the app 
or are those things that you, as the corporate entity that runs PostReplica, mm -hmm. making and supplying through constant updates? So it's kind of all three. And by that, I mean, one, we're going to, uh, we, uh, our company, we're going to be generating new stories and ideas for missions kind of all the time and kind of seeding the, the fertile field of, of, of all that. Second, we're going to, um, we're going to bundle up some of these missions into sort of set storylines, and we're going to invite um, other writers to come in and sort of write these stories for us and sort of present them in sort of like a season, like a sort of like a show, or we'll bring in someone to write this kind of episode, you know, the, the episode about, you know, small towns election, you know, that will be written by someone and there'll be characters and they'll interact and there'll be sort of dialogue you can read and it'll be a way to bring other artists into the fold. And we really hope to give a lot of people a shot at, um, you know, doing their own, doing some writing for RPGs and, and hopefully getting them uh, some remuneration for that if we can create a valuable enough bundle of stories to sell as an in-app purchase. And you can sort of play through uh, kind of like a splat book that someone has written uh, and put into the PostReplica app. Uh, the third option of generating missions is going to be procedurally. So there will be NPCs, they have some relationships, the app will do some magic, and it could come up with a few missions a day of just, you know, this person doesn't like this person, this person got kidnapped, this person broke their ankle you know, sort of random events that could be generated by the app's logic itself. And that'll let us scale a little bit better than everybody playing the same stories all the time. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you guys are intending this app, this world, to thrive and everyone to use it with every single game. Mm -hmm. But, of course, if players don't want to do that, they can certainly just play the game on their own. Oh, sure. Uh, totally. I, I, don't, I, I don't want anyone to listen to this and think that the app is required for playing post-replica. Um, it is a, 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 The rule set exists on its own. You mm -hmm. can make your own characters, and you can have a game at your home table, your own story, start to finish. The app is a, it, it is a database. It is a resource that you as a GM can tap into so that you don't have to kill yourself to come up with a story every Friday. If you're busy, if you're running behind, um, if you guys just want to do a more cooperative storytelling and not invest so much of your own time in, okay, if this guy does this, that means this guy has to do that, and then there's this monster, and then there's this city, I've got to draw this map and figure out how they get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. If you're not the kind of person that likes to do that or is able to do that yet because you're still learning as a GM, the post-replica app does that for you. It supplies the facts and figures and the NPCs and the starting points of any good story. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there, and, and especially the idea of maybe a GM is still new to, uh, to this process. And, and if we're bringing in new players, it stands to reason we're also going to be bringing in new GMs. And, and the app could be very much a resource to sort of get people's creative juices flowing and sort of show them the sort of narrative possibilities of a tabletop role-playing game if they've never played one before. Definitely very cool, very useful. Um, the last thing I'm curious about when it comes to the app, um, are you guys 
going to or able to or have you even thought about any kind of uh, real-time update that reacts to players all participating in one game scenario? Uh, so we, what, we've thought what about I, that. Um, we don't want to. We don't necessarily want to make uh, an, a sort of MMO feel where where you have to f- constantly feel like you're required to be playing it at any given time. We really want to stay as flexible as possible for people because obviously cool. everybody has a life. But we're I, I'm definitely not adverse to uh, a special occasion. Where sort of everyone in the post replica community gets a big invite, you know, come see the chief reclaimer give a speech, and oh, by the way, there's an assassination plot, and oh, by the way, all of you could either help or hinder it. <laughs> come on by Monday at 9, you know? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, so more than anything, the app is it's the equivalent of a book you can put on the shelf. And that you can pull off and say, hey, let's flip to this page and do this adventure. Exactly. And instead of having to go to a hobby store and buy a splat book for 10 or $15, you can go to Post Replica and either get the stories you've already paid for when you bought the book, because we're going to be constantly updating them, or you can spend 3 to $5 on an episode of stories that's been written by a guest artist. It's much more affordable, much more immediate, and it really lowers the bar of entry for people to participate in uh, building this community. That's cool. And there have been a lot of games recently, video games, that have very successfully been those small chapters of a Mm -hmm. story um, where you just have chapter one, and then if you like it, you continue with chapter two. So you're just getting it little tiny bit at a time you don't have to drop 50 bucks on a brand new book and then find out you hate it mm. after you've played the first session yeah so um so this is all cool um everything we've talking about is very unique it's very fresh i'm really excited for post replica <laughs> um so why don't we talk about how you guys are going to get it out to the masses mm-hmm. via kickstarter so the Kickstarter is going to launch on uh, May 25th. That's Memorial Day, I believe. Uh, and it's going to run for 25 or 30 days. We're going to have backer rewards, uh, not just getting the book itself, but also some some goodies like uh, sort of handmade battle arcs that um, you know will come from us with a thank you note, uh, some printed matted or uh, some sort of matted or... Um, am I trying to say, printed concept art from the game that you can sort of keep as a memento. Uh, and we're also looking to do a special edition of the rule book that's hardcover instead of soft so that the backers really sort of feel like they got something really limited and exclusive out of the Kickstarter as well. Um, and of course, cool. the, the two really big reward levels that uh, I hope people uh, are interested in, one of them is uh, Name the City that the first playable area is based off of. So if you have really strong Detroit pride, you can go on and and buy this reward level and we will set this game in Detroit. If you're really big into Portland, we will set it in Portland. If you're really big into Portland, Maine, we'll set it in Portland, Maine. (laughs) And it'll be like a way to sort of leave your mark on the game. The second one is another sort of top level reward is uh, to have your likeness added as a character in the book. Um, and we, we sort of have a we have our story sort of outlined, and we have a sort of 
sketched in uh, dotted line where your character belongs in our story. So we hope you'll check that one out too. Awesome. Awesome. That's very exciting. (laughs) Um, So when it comes to an approximate price point Mm -hmm. for picking up post-replica, now, of course, um, by the time this episode airs and people are listening to it, the Kickstarter will most likely already be live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, things might change. You never know. Nothing is set in stone. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Anthony, I mean, what what kind of coin am I going to be dropping if I just want to pick up the game and, and figure out what this is? So our first price point is uh, $10, and that's for just an art just a PDF of the rulebook itself. Uh, the next level up from just the PDF is $25, and that's going to be the PDF of the rulebook, four printed battle arcs, the first season of DLC for the app, um, so anything we put out for the first year through the app you're going to get for free, and a, uh, and a backer exclusive art print from the game. Uh, the next level up from $25 is going to be $35, and that's going to be our first print run of the rulebook itself, which you'll get with a PDF. And that's limited. That's going to be limited. Right now it's 100 It might be more. But the idea is that you get the hot-off-the-presses copy of this book before it goes on sale retail. Um, the next level up from that is $50, and that is the, um, the printed book from the, the first run. When it's available, and a PDF uh, of the book itself, four battle arcs, first season of DLC, uh, and uh, uh, sort of concept art from the game. And but we're going to be doing a um, limited run of the fifty-dollar level. Twenty, the first twenty-five backers get uh, handmade battle arcs made by the founding team, and we're going to sort of sign them and say thank you on the back of each. So that'll be a great takeaway. And the uh, the big sort of, if you really believe in this project, big kahuna level is $100. And that's going to be our limited edition hardcover with an alternate cover that's exclusive to this, uh, to this Kickstarter. Uh, new internal art. And we're going to build into the limited edition book any of the stretch goals that we write that are sort of story-based stretch goals. And we have a couple stretch goals to write. Um, a couple novellas based in the post-replica world that'll really add some depth to the story and, and, and add some character options as well. So the limited edition hardcover will have that all built into it, so you'll, you'll just have one book on the shelf with all that. Uh, and, and a post-replica t-shirt, of course, because who, what would Kickstarter be without giving away a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Those are some awesome pledge levels. Um, you've made it very accessible mm-hmm. to someone who has a small budget, or just wants to dip their toes in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a real nice, uh, very rewarding, but still inexpensive sweet spot at that $25, $35 level. Mm-hmm. And just from what you're saying, it sounds like you've got some awesome rewards for people who really want to commit to making this thing a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I like seeing a Kickstarter that uh, has that wide level of rewards to fit all kinds of budgets. I, I think that is the mark of a successful Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really pleased and happy to see that you guys have anticipated that and are working for that. Um, now, what about the app itself? Is the app a free download or is that a purchase? That's a free download. 
But if you haven't, okay. um, if you haven't purchased a PDF copy of the book uh, from Kickstarter or elsewhere, or purchased a um, a physical copy which comes with a PDF copy, uh, you'll be able to purchase the rule book from inside the app. Oh, gotcha. Right. So the in-app purchases will be the rules and the further adventures mm-hmm. that release uh, as as post replica starts to evolve and grow. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very convenient. I think that's a really smart way to do that. Uh, I think that'll appeal to a lot of people um, right off the bat there. Mm-hmm. Um so this is cool. Uh, I was very excited about Post Replica, <laughs> and now I am extremely excited <laughs> about Post Replica. Great. And um, as a, uh, a peek behind the curtain to you listeners, uh, Anthony and I, in about 10 minutes here, are going to be sitting down to play test the game. So we are going to wrap up this introductory interview. Um, Everybody, please stay tuned and listen to the next few episodes so you can get a real feel for the post-replica world and really build that excitement. Uh, Please, please, please go uh, give some coin to these guys. Uh, I think this is going to be a really awesome game to keep on your shelf. Um, I am very excited to run people through it and play around with that app and see how the world develops. So, Anthony, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to me uh, and share uh, a project that you are clearly very passionate about. Um, Before we wrap up, is there anything that I missed, anything you want to add? Please feel free to throw out any websites, Twitter handles, etc., etc. It'll all be in the show notes as well, but I always like to have people say it for real. Uh, Well, I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a really great uh, recording, and I can't wait to play and and really dive into it. So thank you so much for for having us. Um, Our website is postreplica.com. Our Twitter handle, you can always follow me. I'm Anth Ford, A-N-T-H-F-O-R-D. Or you could follow our company, Rational Base, uh, Rational and then the letters B-A-S, which is Rational Basis Media, the name of our company. Um, We are on uh, Instagram, Facebook. uh, We're all over the place. Just search for either Post Replica or Rational Basis Media, and you should be able to find us. Uh, but of course, I will always direct people personally to, to help us uh, get the word out. Cool, cool. Well, yes, everybody uh, flood the interwebs, uh, show these guys some shout outs and love on all the social media that exists. And uh, we are going to wrap this interview up and get to playing. Yay. Uh, we will see you guys very soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show 
and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.